0: Good morning and welcome to episode 62 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I am so glad you have joined me today. On the episode today, I'd like to wrap up the discussion of splits for now. There will be lots more on this as the season goes because I truly believe the techniques around splits and requeening, if you can get those down, you have your ticket to be independence and you do not have to be dependent anymore on package and nuke producers because you can produce all the bees that you need and the only bees that That you will have to buy, or you don't even have to, but you could buy, are when you want fancy queens or just different queens or additional queens. (laughs) Anyway, if this podcast does have a goal, it would be to get you to be independent. And then a little later in this episode, I hope to get to some of the questions that folks have sent in on the Facebook page and on Patreon. Finally, the next episode I plan to do on inspections. This will kind of count the next one that is kind of count toward B School Radio, which I really thought I could just do a few episodes. Episodes to get people a little extra content to supplement their B schools, but so many of them were canceled this year. I feel like I am willing to do more episodes. Beginners, if you would like to write me and tell me in particular uh, techniques or processes or the biology that you would like to know, then I will be glad to build an episode around that. Otherwise, it's kind of hard because I have no idea what people are wondering about. And so, by all means, please write in, give me topics, and it gives me an to dig around and find out things and share them with. Before I go any further, let me send a big thank you to the newest patrons over at Patreon, Tom W, Lori, and Paula D. Thank you all so much for your support, and to all the patrons, thank you for your patience as I've run behind on some of the things I try to post for you guys, but hopefully things are settling down now, at least to a a steady state, and I'm going to give it my best shot to get back in the groove of posting regularly. So the last technique I want to share with you about splits. I've heard it called a Mississippi split. I've heard it called a Doolittle box. That's why I tend to call it in my yard is a Doolittle box, only because I read somewhere that somebody heard that somebody read that somebody said <laughs> that uh, Doolittle, the famous beekeeper, used this technique to do his split. And all it requires is a queen excluder. As many of you know, I don't routinely use a queen excluder. I only use those on particular honey production hives. But I tell you, it is a very handy piece of equipment. I buy the plastic ones. The good part about the plastic ones is that you don't have to worry about the little metal bars getting stretched and a queen getting through. The plastic ones are pretty set. They will get gummed up with wax but you can uh, pressure wash that off or steam clean it off, which that's something I'm gonna tell you about in a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, I use a plastic queen excluder anytime one is needed and there are several techniques that you use them and excluding the queens from the honey supers is probably the place I use it the least. So to make a do little box, this is when you have a mated queen in a cage and you've either bought it or produced her or or something like that. Most typically you've bought her from a queen breeder and you want to make a receiving colony for her, a box that is the most safe for releasing her into via the candy plug. So anytime you're releasing a mated queen, the bees to watch out for are the foragers. They tend to be the oldest, the most set in their ways, the most I guess attached to their queen and if anybody's going to kill your new queen it's going to be them. So one technique to increase your chances of success when you introduce a new queen to a split box is to make sure you have as many nurse bees in there as possible. They are you know nicer all around but in particular nicer to queen and then of course good amount of capped brood because when they come out they're looking to say okay who which where's my queen and so they have no preset opinion and they're very kind to new queen. So one way of creating a box of bees that is very receptive to a new queen is the Doolittle box. The other thing the Doolittle box does is it kind of siphons off a lot of the nurse bees and capped brood in your colony which reduces swarm pressure. So you can do two things at once. You buy a mated queen, make this Doolittle box, put the new queen in the Doolittle box, and then your older colony has been thinned out and so they don't have the the pressure of uh, the crowding pressure of of wanting to swarm at least. So all you do to make a doodle box is you go through your hive and very carefully pull out frames of mostly capped brood and set them in a brand new box. You can replace them with foundation or drawn comb, whichever you prefer. Foundation will give them kind of something to do, but don't do too much of it. And by that, I mean, if you line up several frames of foundation beside each other, they don't always get it that they're supposed to draw the wax on the foundation. Sometimes they draw it between the frames. It gets all messy. So the trick to getting perfect comb drawn out is to put your frame of foundation in between two perfectly drawn combs of brood comb. And to, to some extent, you can also do that in a honey super with foundation. If you've got a really good population of bees and you put a frame of foundation in between two started honeycomb frames, most of the time they'll draw it out, but sometimes what I found my bees do, they're lazy or something. And what they they extend the comb that they've already got going into the space, the blank space that that the foundation has. Then sometimes what I have is I have these giant honking frames that are like, you know, four inches across and then a blank foundation and then a giant honking frame. Anyway, so that is what I like about putting foundation in between brood combs is because they will always draw it perfectly measured. So you've got your new box. You are pulling frames of capped brood out of the mother hive, but you are shaking the bees off. You're very carefully and gently shaking the bees off of that frame back into the Now I like to look at every frame just once over to make sure I don't see the queen sitting there big as life and then I'm going to shake her because anytime you shake her you have the possibility of injuring her or getting her on the ground. I will pause here for a little true confession moment. (laughs) I want to tell you some of the mistakes I make so that you will know it happens even when you're more experienced it happens. This is something I have never done before in all these years but I did it yesterday and that is I accidentally killed a queen. Thank goodness it was not a queen I planned to to keep and use in the breeding program. She had kind of flunked in that department, but I didn't intend to kill her because I actually intended to let her draw out more comb and produce more brood for splits I'll make later. But what happened was I was removing some frame, shaking off the bees back into the uh, mother hive, and I went too fast. And obviously I picked up a frame, glanced at it, didn't see her, shook off the frame, took it to where I needed it. A little while later, I looked back over at this hive, and I noticed there's a, a bundle, a little cluster of bees on the ground which is never nothing <laughs> well almost never nothing and so i was like what is going on over there so i go over and move the bees away with a piece of grass and there was my queen and she was obviously injured she was curled up she was not dead but she was badly injured i i don't know what exactly happened i don't know if i accidentally smacked that frame on something and injured her or if she got slammed too hard against something anyway it was my karma <laughs> for moving too fast Move into hard, and I accidentally injured that queen, mortally injured that queen, and of course that created a whole new problem. Besides being a waste and a loss, and just beekeeper error, I created a whole new problem because now I have a queenless hive, and I don't want that hive to produce another queen because I'm not satisfied with that uh, queen line. So I'll have to do a few tricks to requeen that hive with somebody that I want to head the hive. Anyway, that was a pause of it happens to everybody. I can honestly say I have never. Ever done that to a queen before that way? Now I have smashed queens. I didn't see it happen, but I've put hives back together. Heard a terrible crunch at some point, (laughs) and then the hive about ten minutes later starts making that awful queenless roar. It's a deeper tone. It just, to my ear, it just sounds unhappy. And whenever I hear it, I definitely give that colony some attention. But anyway, that is all to say. Be careful when you're shaking the bees off the frame. You do want to look on there, make sure your queen is not on there. She is less likely to be uncapped brood but she can walk around anywhere she can be on any any surface in that hive including the inner cover as you experienced beekeepers know you know you'll always see experienced beekeepers when they pull off that inner cover kind of give it a once over because if you do this long enough there'll be a time where you're like oh my god there there's the queen walking around on the inner cover and you want to just make sure to safely get her back in the hive but in this process what you are attempting to do is to get naked capped brood comb frame so you shake off the bees Gently, not shaking your queen, and you place them in that new box. Then, when you're done, you put the queen excluder over the top of that colony that you're working with, and you put that bee-free or mostly bee-free box of cat brood frames back on top. And what's going to happen is, within a few hours, or definitely by the next morning, all those brood frames will be covered with nurse bees. And you also know, as much as we can know on these things, that the queen's not in there. So it makes it super easy to just pull off that box, put it on a new bottom board, get it all set up somewhere else in the apiary, and put your caged queen in there. It's just going to be a box of bees that is much more likely to accept her. Now, I do like to leave them queenless at least a couple hours. They usually know once you remove it off the hive. I can hear them change their tone, gosh, it, usually within under 20 minutes. But if you leave them a few hours and then you take your caged queen, there's this neat thing you can do. Once you hear them know that they are missing a queen. If they're really missing her, you can take take that caged queen and hold it down to them, like just hold it kind of in your hand, but right on the bars on top of the cage. And you'll see the bees run up and kind of see what's going on with her. If they are ready to receive her, they will start fanning because and they're fanning. They're telling their sisters, Oh my gosh, here she is. We thought she was gone, but no, here she is. We don't know why she's in this cage, but there she is. Now I still don't do a direct release if she's a queen that I, I have reason to want to definitely keep alive. I still let them release her via the candy plug, but it is delightful, and it's a fun thing to play with when you have a queenless hive. Particularly this Doolittle box that's already young bees and already more receptive to a queen, and you you let them know they're queenless, and then you show them a new queen in a cage, and it's just reassuring to me to see them fan, and that makes me think it's going to be a successful candy cage introduction. Now, of course, this little box that you have set off somewhere else in your apiary, you definitely want to give them some food frames or a feeder and a pollen frame out of that original mother hive because again since you've moved them you've lost your forager bees they don't have any foragers of their own for a couple weeks so you want to give them a good pantry and then they've got their new queen they've got a feeder which seems to make them more willing to accept a new queen and you've got a split that has a high likelihood of doing well so that's the do little box there are many times this technique of a do little box can come in handy let's say that you have one hive that's just packed and looking swarmy and just way too congested and you've got another hive that's not, you know, they're kind of looking thin and like they might be struggling a little bit, then a dual box can be a great thing because you can do the box, get your box of mostly cat brood and nurse bees, do a newspaper combine on your not-so-great hive and they will, every time I've done it, they have accepted, you know, everybody has gotten along, no problem. I mean, the newspaper, there are some who would probably say you could just do it directly, but I, I like the newspaper. It slows them down a little bit and just buys them a little time to all be chill with each other. For those beginners who don't know what a newspaper combine is, it is another very handy technique, and all it is is you lay a sheet of newspaper in between two boxes of bees from different hives that you are ready to combine. Obviously, you only want a queen in one of those boxes. What the bees do is they it takes them some time to chew that newspaper into shreds and drag it out and do. During all that time, they get used to each other and there's no fighting. Some people will cut slits in that paper to give them a head start. It just depends on, on what you're doing. The one tip I will give you is if, if you're doing a newspaper combine, whichever hive has the foragers coming and going, you want to leave that one on the bottom and leave the foragers coming and going into their own box. And then the one you're introducing that you're moving from somewhere else that's not going to have an automatic forager population, that one I usually put on top. Um, I do make sure they have ventilation, especially in the hot summer, because you're closing off their bottom ventilation at least for a minute with that newspaper. So I make sure they've got upper ventilation, but I also make sure that I don't arrange it so that the at-home forager population is suddenly going into that new box, because that can cause fighting. So anyway, those are a couple of techniques I hope will be helpful to you in your progress as you learn all of these combining techniques. And if you're experienced, then this is just a good overview of those handy things that you may have forgotten about. Or if you're one of those beekeepers who's actually familiar with all these techniques, but you just like to listen to bee podcasts, welcome. I'm your kinfolk. I do that too. (laughs) And that is not to say I know every technique, but I am always perusing to find some new hack of how to do things you need to do in the bee yard. It's really fun. It's really fun how many creative ways beekeepers have come up to solve various problems. I just love that. And I hope you will grow to love that. Beginners, you're just overwhelmed. You don't worry. You just worry about in the basics, but if you've been in a few years, challenge yourself to go out there and learn some kind of new and cool technique and try it out this year. So the first question I want to attempt to answer came a comment on one of the posts on Facebook, Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. And this is from Alan. Alan was talking about the cut down split episode and he said, great episode. Thank you, Alan. What should I do if I see capped queen cells when doing the cut down split? Should I leave a few cells in the old Honeymaker location? Along with a single frame of eggs, or should I leave none? What about cells in the other part of the split where my queen goes? Is it called a cut down because I am supposed to cut down all the queen cells entirely? And this had so many great questions in it, I wanted to start with it. So, first of all, when you're doing a cut down, if you find queen cells, then if they're capped, you are ahead of the game if you want to start another colony because you can take very gently because you're not sure how old that cell is, and if you just jostle, I mean even jostle lightly, a queen cell, just for safety, let's say day six through nine after you've either grafted or done a split, that queen cell is very, very fragile. Queen is developing her wing buds where her wings will grow, so any amount of jostling will mess her up. This is the time you do not want to move a queen cell if you can possibly help it, but if you come across a capped queen cell in a hive, you don't know how old it is, so you're going to have to risk it if you need to move it. Now, if I found a couple of beautiful capped queen cells while I was doing the cut down. If you wanted to, you could leave them on the honeymaker, the original spot. That would just mean that they would requeen a little faster, which is great in terms of the requeening, but it decreases the amount of brood break they get because part of why that brood break is so effective in reducing mites is they are starting from the absolute beginning. If you start them with a capped queen cell, it, particularly since you don't know how old that capped queen cell is, they may not get a full brood break. So if that's not an issue, if you're going to do your mite count and treat anyway, then no problem, you've got a jump start over there in your honey maker. And if you've done it right before flow, you're still going to get an increased amount of honey. Now, I personally would not put a queen cell in the part of the split that you move away that has the old queen in it because it seems to me there's a couple possibilities that I might not want to happen. One is, it seems like there's the possibility that it would they would still be going in their swarm process. And then the other possibility is that the virgin could come out and kill the queen that you've moved over there. Maybe that's not a problem if you weren't too fond of her anyway, but I don't like, um, but just personally, I have not tended to put any queen cells in the old queen portion of that particular split. What I tend to do is take that frame that has the cap queen cell, or if you, if you can cut it off there, if you've got those kind of skills, you can just take the cell if you don't have a plastic foundation. But anyway, take that frame with the Nice capped queen cell, and very gently move it to a nuke box or a queen castle, and then supplement it with several frames of bees and capped brood from the donor hive. And boom, you've got a little tiny split over there. I just love that. I just I, I have several of those going right now in my queen castles of um, either frames that had that I made them make cells on because I removed their queen, and I took those frames with the cap cell, gave them a staff, and gave them a pantry, and Put them in a little queen castle, and so in about I don't know three weeks or so, it's possible that I may have a brand new little baby nuke with a brand new queen from 2020, and that would be very thrilling. I always love that. Listen, I think one of the funnest things in beekeeping is if you raise a queen in whatever way that you do it, and that first egg check. On my calendar, I always put early egg check, regular egg check, because I I just can't help myself sometimes and go in a few days early, and sometimes they've made it quickly if the way. Weather was agreeable and she came back and started laying. And you'll actually see those little eggs. And when you first see eggs from your queen that you made, that is a thrill like none other in my opinion. Now, remember, you're not done evaluating her. If you see eggs, that's great. Okay, she mated and is laying. But to me, the quality control before you pass that queen on is to wait for capped brood and to make sure that they are worker brood. Because there is the instance where, for whatever reason, the queen is very poorly mated. She can be a drone layer. Or if she doesn't get to mate, she can be a drone layer. And you can't tell that until the brood is capped. And then it will be very obvious because you'll have all these weird... Vitamin capsule looking caps in among the worker brood, and that's all wrong. That's a sign that something is <laughs> desperately wrong. So I like the quality control of watching and making sure that she has a nice big patch of smooth, perfect worker brood before I put her in to head a hive or to sell in whatever way or to pass on to a friend. And finally, the most the part of this question I very much wanted to clarify, Alan asked: Is it called a cut down because I'm supposed to cut down all the queen cells entirely? And And no, to the best of my knowledge, it is called a cut down because you are reducing the space. Again, since this was originally used for comb honey, you are packing bees in a small space, but making it to where they don't want to swarm. And so I believe the cut down refers to the size that you are altering, or really, I guess it's more the density of the bees. But I guess the takeaway, (laughs) maybe the takeaway is that don't think of cut down as being really descriptive. Let's just call it the name of this thing, because we're using it in a way that not about comb honey. So to be completely honest, I don't exactly know what they mean by cut down. I believe it's about the space, but it's definitely not about cutting down queen cells. Now, that said, I have read in a lot of British blogs that when they're doing a split, for reasons I don't completely understand, when they find a cap cell, they will cut all the cells out and let the bees start from the very beginning. Now, maybe that's to get the brood break. I'm not exactly sure, but that's just up to you whether you want to harvest those queen cells and use them in places or ways that you want to or get a head start on that split or if you want to cut them down so that you will know the age of the cells in that hive. The benefit, if you did elect cut the queen cells down, which of course you would only do if you've got access to more egg frame. If you decided to cut the queen cells down, the only advantage I could think of was then at that point, once they make queen cells, they're all the same age and you know what that age is. So if you're planning on harvesting several queen cells out of there, that would be the way to. To do it because if you don't if you put a capped cell of unknown age in there and let's say they make some more cells well that first one to hatch out emerge is going to go and kill the others so you've just you know messed up the process if you were trying to make multiple queen cells uh, to use so I hope that clarifies rather than complicate um, the information on the cut down split and the last question I'll do today since I'm running close to time this comes from Paula who is a patron thank you Paula very much and she says hi Lee. I have a quick question for you. If I can split a hive or two in the next week or two, would it be too stressful for a hive to insert a few foundationless frames to begin transitioning to foundationless frames? Spring is just about to start and the bees are really building up. Thank you so much. Now Paula didn't say where she is, so I'm not exactly sure where she is in her locale, but she gave me the tips that I needed to have an answer that I feel fairly confident about. She is saying spring is starting and the bees are really building up, and those two things make me think that yes, you could be Begin by putting a foundationless frame in between brood frames and let them start drawing that out. Now, they're not going to draw a lot of wax unless you're feeding them or unless there's a flow. So, make your timing and choices around that. But the good thing about a foundationless frame, putting it in between two brood frames in order to get fresh comb, is that you don't create any barrier between the two adjacent frames of brood. So, if you do have a cold night and the bees need to cluster, they've got open space and they can cluster. And so no problem, as opposed to a frame of foundation or even plastic frame that you've divided up potentially the cluster if you've divided that brood. So a foundationless frame solves that problem. And they are such a delight to work with. I love my foundationless frames in terms of working with them and the bees just love to draw them. But I will say the downside I have found is it is just unreal how many drones the hive wants when left to its own devices versus how many drones the typical beekeeper wants in there, particularly if you're trying to get honey. If you're trying to get honey, those drones eat like little horses and it will really cut into your honey heart. If it's an entirely foundation-free hive, which I've done some experiments on, they have so many drones compared to what we're used to in using foundation. It was an eye-opener to me. My original issue with it was those were hives that I actually wanted to find a queen at several several instances. And you go to try to find a queen and a hive that has a ton of drones, now, Just uh, again for beginners, if you were to open up a hive that you've installed on foundation and you see a ton of drones, that is an alarm signal because you shouldn't have that many drones. And that means your queen may be shooting blanks and become a drone layer. So, definitely, if you see an extraordinary amount of drones in a hive that's on foundation, that's a definite signal to check deeper. On the other hand, if you see a ton of drones in a hive that's on foundationless frames, that could be completely normal depending on that colony. So, that's the pro and the con that I've found so far on the foundationless frames. I love having the wax that's just pure clean wax that you can harvest later if you want. That is a delight. It's so easy to clean out the frames. You just take your knife and cut that thing off of there and it's clean (laughs) and it's easy to scrape down the frames. I love them all in that respect. And speaking of cleaning frames, let me add this in here real quick. I have gotten myself a wallpaper steamer. I saw some YouTubes on this. Isn't this how all kinds of crazy ideas start? I saw a YouTube. (laughs) But I saw a YouTube on a British beekeeper and he was harvesting his wax using a wallpaper steamer. And so he had stacked up some boxes of empty comb that he was ready to get rid of completely uh, the comb and harvest the wax out of. He puts the wax, the wax paper steamer tube in the top. He made a cover with a hole in it, sticks that hole in there. And then he uh, ratchet strapped the whole thing together pretty tight and it's got a bottom board on there. He has a screen set up in there. And anyway, the heat of... Of that wax paper steamer will melt the wax completely. It drains out and then under there he had a bucket of water to catch the wax and that way the wax doesn't stick to anything. So you get these clumps of wax depending on your screening setup. They could be still pretty icky or still be pretty clean relatively speaking. They still have to be purified again if you're doing anything like candles or something or cosmetics something fancy. But anyway it was such a beautiful system and the side effect which I love is that it's sterilizes those frames and boxes if you leave it on there long enough. According to the side of my box (laughs) on the wallpaper steamer, the steam is 212 degrees is what it says. And that definitely will will melt the wax. And also if you leave it there, that pretty much will sterilize uh, a box and the wooden frames that will be left behind. Now, I use, as I've mentioned before, a lot of plastic frames, or not really plastic frames, they're wooden frames with plastic foundation, and that's just what I started on. And and I have not gone to wax foundation just because I do have concerns of how much potential um, miticides and chemicals may be in the foundation wax from the commercial wax. I know that sounds kind of hinky, but just because my hives happen to already be completely chemical and treatment free, it's like I don't want to mess it up with that uh, thing because at this point I can sell my wax to people doing cosmetic and it is a rare and valuable substance because it is truly chemical free wax. And by chemical free, I do understand that just simply means chemicals that the beekeeper added versus anything they may encounter in the environment. Anyway, that's why I haven't used wax foundation. But long story short, let me rack back around, or I should say, short story made long, let me wrap back around. I wanted to, I had heard that the wallpaper steamer setup would. Would melt plastic foundation. Let me report back. It will melt plastic foundation so fast. It's unbelievable. I I, I mean, it melted. I didn't experiment. <laughs> and so I wanted to, I had this thought that I might could grab it while it was quick enough when the me- wax had started melting, but the plastic had not started. It doesn't really melt. It warps. And let's just say on my first try, I didn't hit it because it hadn't been steaming very long at all. I run back out there to check on it. I'm doing all this outside and that wax foundation had completely drooped and doubled doubled. doubled over. There was even still wax on it. I mean it was uh, really the cocoons because this was old brood frame that I was just seeing if I could clean up those frames and, and still salvage the plastic foundation. So experiment number one gave me valuable information that it doesn't take long to completely warp and melt down that plastic foundation. I still have hopes that I might do something where I just stick it in there for just a few minutes like literally standing there waiting on it and then pull those frames out and I should be able to use a kind of putty tool, I should be able to just peel that wax off there and it comes off pretty clean. I've done this based on another YouTube I saw. I've done this by just warming them up in the sun and then using a wide putty tool on the plastic foundation and starting on one end, you can peel the whole thing off. It's not effortless, but it comes off in one piece and leaves a very clean frame that you can then re-wax if you want to and, and use again. So anyway, those are my adventures. I just, I've been doing this long enough that I have a whole bunch of of really icky black comb and I of course am not going to use that in my hives and I'm even getting more persnickety about not wanting to use old comb from the terms of a disease transmission so basically if the comb is black in my operation it is out of there and I'm doing this as as uh, on a regular basis whenever I find black comb I have a plastic tub that I uh, stick it in and then I have to get to it pretty quickly or the wax moths will create this giant mess and those webs just freak me out. So I I can't deal with that. (laughs) I mean, there are people who use the wax moss to actually clean their frames, but I, I cannot handle that web mess. So I'm exploring these alternate ways. So anyway, I'll draw this long one to a close and look forward to talking to you next time about inspections. So Michael, thank you for your patience on that. Have a wonderful week. I'll talk to you soon.